0: Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Dave and I sure hope you're not too superstitious. We have managed to get ourselves up to episode 13. But before we get into our thing, I want to encourage everyone listening to make sure they check out the latest from Stuart and Anthony at Scale Model Podcast. And likewise, from Dave, Julian and Ian at On the Bench. While we've made a habit of cross promoting each other, I wanted to encourage the latest episode from both of these other shows in particular, because they both had quite interesting interviews that I'm sure you will all enjoy. So with that said, let's get on to episode 13 of Plastic Model Mojo. Well, Dave, I think spring's finally going to stick now.
1: <laughs> I think it is, and uh, that hasn't been great for my modeling these last two weekends. How about you?
0: No, me either. I mean, spending a lot more time outside and people wanting to go places that we can actually go to. We went up to the to lake, uh, well, Cave Run Lake saturday for a little while
1: it's a nice place
0: yeah saturday after, Saturday afternoon was busy and then sunday i was working outside and just a day got away from me
1: yeah the last I, I have not gotten a ton of modeling done the last two weekends uh simply because of the fact that now that the weather's good um i had some high hopes having a holiday weekend and then the weekend this past weekend following it but uh now it's all yard work and getting the deck area and the pool all ready and all of that stuff so pretty exhausting so you taking the paint out with uh, some nice modeling fluid
0: yeah it's a it's a beer night i'm drinking a uh, a brown ale from rockhouse brewery here in lexington oh for a brown it's it's kind of on the darker end of that spectrum I think. It's got a nice roasted finish to it. It's it's not like it's not as heavy as maybe some porters are, but it's good. It's a nice smooth beer.
1: It is a beer night as a matter of fact after a uh, a couple of episodes of uh Kentucky's favorite modeling fluid um I switched it up a little bit and this is kind of your kind of to blame for this. I'm having uh, new Belgium's voodoo ranger Imperial IPA. It's a, it's an IPA and I am not an IPA fan, but uh, once I've started drinking that uh, gumball head that you got me hooked on, I've, I've come to appreciate the IPAs a little more. And this one, it's not bad. It's very light as far as the IPA goes. Now, it's an imperial ale so it's about nine percent alcohol which doesn't hurt <laughs> but it's a really nice I wouldn't exactly call it light drink but it's it goes down very easy it's it's there's no particular taste other than you get the hops at the end but not not bad so uh I've kind of been enjoying this this has been my my beer of choice uh, along with gumball head the last uh, for the last couple of weeks.
0: Well, you can't blame everything on me this episode you did last time.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I can. I mean, I'm a lawyer. It's kind of what I did.
0: <laughs> I guess that's true.
1: Yeah, I'll try and take it easy on you. Although you do have some blame coming up later in the episode.
0: All right. Well, I'll take the heat, I guess. All right. Well, we got a little listener mail again. I, t- I tell you, when we uh, ask people for input, we sure get it. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So who we got? We have Mr. Uh, Damien Rigby from uh Strathwin, Australia, down near Melbourne. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, model of fl- modeling flute of choice tonight is good old JD number seven. That would be Jack Daniels, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Number, number seven is their signature black label. I'm working my way through the earlier episodes, and number three and number four kept me company at the bench tonight while I worked on an engine to a 125th scale 55 Chevy Pro Sportsman. Now, I sent some pictures. It's a, it's a, uh, like a drag conversion, funny car, maybe. Probably gotcha. not that. I would, it, it's a,
1: like a gasser.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hot rod. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, let's see. Nanny then he goes on to mention, I hope you pick up some SMS paints from USA Gundam store. The owner of SMS paints or SMS company scale model supply is a friend of mine and the paints are excellent. Now that's the, that's the paint line that sponsors on the bench.
1: It is. It is. And frankly, I've been wanting to at least give those a test. Uh, uh, and I know they've got a U.S. distributor at the uh, USA Gundam store. So,
0: well, when I got this, I did go out and look at the, the range, you know, kind of see what the color selection was. It looked uh, looked pretty good. So, yeah, maybe I'll do the same.
1: Yeah. Maybe we'll do a combined order.
0: <laughs> okay. We could do that.
1: <laughs> Save a little on postage.
0: That's right. Uh, we got uh, another response from Preston Culp. Now, Preston was uh, out in Kansas if you remember from a few episodes back, cause uh, we recommended him to a club out there, but he hasn't got there yet. I've been listening to your podcast and it gets better with every episode. Well, that's good to hear. Thank you. Since my original email, I joined the IPMS and was looking forward to trying out the Chisholm trail modeling club based on your recommendation. Then came the COVID-19 and the stay at home orders. My job is considered critical since I'm, since it's national defense and aerospace but I was able to work from home part-time with uh, nowhere to go. I got a little, uh, spend a little more time at the bench. I think we all got to do that for a while and he he sent some pictures. So I'm I'm working. I've actually started working on the gallery. I I was trying to collect all these in a folder on my PC so I can get them all into the gallery uh, at one shot.
1: Well, I won't blame you for not having them up yet.
0: Okay. Thank you. says his lovely wife of 42 years has given him the den and basement for his modeling and library. So he sounds like you, he's got a library. Good woman. woman. Currently I'm using our kitchen table our old kitchen table. uh, And part of his stash is stored along the back side of the table. He he sent a picture of that as well. Um, He's got a tip in here for storing magazines, which I'm going to, I'm going to skip to that. He takes a, filing cabinet hang file folders
1: mm-hmm.
0: and cuts the metal bar or spanner across off the top of each side. Yep. And and that gives him two rails to, he can hang two magazines. He drops the center of the magazine over that, uh, that bar and I plops have, them down the file, plops them in the file cabinet.
1: I have seen that done. And that is an ingenious way to store them. I kind of store them in a similar fashion. I use these, uh, uh, three hole punched magazine holders that are simply a strip of plastic with the three holes for a binder and then a slot in it and you do the same thing you open the magazine up to the middle you slide it into the center and then you can organize them in binders but it's the same same general idea
0: well and I hope he gets to visit the Chisholm Trail IPMS chapter but he's the sounds like they're probably in the same boat we're in right now with, uh, our club and just kind of, yeah. kind of taking a wait and see attitude where, when we can all get back together, Neil Kegley, but, uh, he didn't tell me where he's from, so I guess we'll have to not do that part or he can send it. He can send it in. We'll do it later. Really enjoying the <laughs> podcast. I get my mojo from uh, your podcast, as well as the guys down under at on the bench. I just finished listening to your episode about modeling space. My wife and I both model. <laughs> That's like the third one. Yeah, I know. But we've moved into a smaller home, which presents some very interesting challenges. In our previous home, we had a full basement that allowed for plenty of room and options. Now, not so much. I recall one of you guys saying that you knew someone that was a traveling salesman that modeled out of a suitcase. Maybe down the line a bit, you guys could discuss the challenges of limited space modeling, how to deal with airbrushing, booth, et cetera, or maybe suggest some suggestions. Uh, I love aircraft and armor. And while 72nd has always been a favorite, aging eyes may move me to 48th. Now, I'm going to say something about that. It's kind of the opposite problem when I was into model railroading. Uh, You think you're going to go down in a scale and and fit more in? Well, it doesn't work that way. It just just expands to fill whatever space you got, regardless of what scale you model in. So I think if I... If I went from thirty-fifth scale armor to sixteenth scale, I think my projects would get more involved and I'd be trying to put even more ridiculous amounts of detail onto something. So
1: well, I, I maintain that uh, if you look at a open up a 70 second scale kit and open up a 48 scale kit, I guarantee you you will find some parts in the 48th scale kit that are every bit as tiny as any part in the 70 second scale kit. There's just more of them because they've added more detail because they've got the ability to. So you end up modeling the same size pieces in many respects.
0: I, I think that's true as well. Well, he goes on to say he's been modeling since he was a teenager and he's approaching 56 this summer. Although he's been on a hiatus for the past 10 years due to space issues, but he's getting his ducks in the row and getting his tools, paints, et cetera. And, uh, Looking forward to getting back into it. Well, hopefully he figures out the space situation. You know, I, I don't know. I, I've been fortunate. You know, I, I used to model in apartments a lot, and I'd have to airbrush out on the patio or the deck or whatever the apartment I happened to be in happened to have. But that was before a spray booth. I, I wouldn't do that anymore, I don't think. I, you could always put the spray booth in a different part of the house that you had access to a window.
1: I've been really lucky. Other than uh, the... A uh, few years in law school, um, uh, when I was in in the the dorms and at uh, the University of Louisville, I've always had a dedicated room to model in, and that's that's really been nice for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, and lastly, this one's this one's interesting. This is from Jim Unger, who who wrote to us before, and he's the one who mentioned that uh, Salvino Jr. line of nascar kits that we talked about i think i brought it up in the last episode yeah uh mike and dave to answer your question about licensing of the salvino junior kits now i'll say again these these are all pre-90s classic american nascars some some of the more famous drivers but anyway the salvino in their name is rick salvino who is the son of ralph salvino Ralph was the motorsport race director from the early 60s to the late 70s and worked for STP. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Probably makes things a bunch easier. Yes. Rick also worked for STP and has many, many contacts in the NASCAR world. At this point, they have licenses with Petty. That's Richard Petty. Uh, the estate of Buddy Baker and Junior Johnson and the family of Harry Rainier and just signed with the Blue Max Racing with the son of Raymond Beadle which got us the mm-hmm. rusty Wallace Pontiac two by two or two plus two. Right. Uh, they have almost all the monogram molds from the stock car line as they bought those from Atlantis after Atlantis purchased them from Ravel in the fallout of Ravel going under some years ago. Salvino's right. plan is to use the molds from the monogram stock car line after the cleaning them up. Uh, along with creating new bodies to go with existing chassis and interiors. The only thing that didn't come over were the molds for the glass and tires. They have had to produce new units and we'll be cranking them out. Uh, They use power slide decals, which are the best for us NASCAR builders. I've not heard of those, Uh, but he's used used J&J in the past, along with Blue Ridge, Wetworks, Yesterday's from uh, BSR out of Atlanta. Their plans are to have several Mopar kits uh, from the late 60s and early 70s coming out during the year and this year and, and 2021 the jr is jim roberts who is the designer of the kits and has been friends with rick for over 30 years he's broadcasting a live video chat on facebook every saturday morning at 9 a.m uh, central daylight time check it out Now i've not checked that out yet but uh that's that's interesting um this guy's guy making these kits who owns this company is, is sounds like he well his dad was a pretty much a who's who in in the NASCAR circuit sounds like, and he's kind of carrying the torch now.
1: All right. Well, I'll take this moment to uh, uh, make my my usual uh, episode plea for anybody who's listening to take a moment when you finish the episode and go into whatever podcasting app you're using. And please give us five stars. Give us a rating. Uh, Like I said, it's not an ego thing. What it does is... It causes the algorithms in the programs to push our uh, podcast up uh, so that new people can stumble across it. And uh, uh, Mike and I have been watching the stats for the last uh, last few months, and uh, we're very pleased by the growth we've had, and we'd like to continue that growth, and uh, we need your help to do it. So if you wouldn't mind, take a minute. And, and give us a five-star rating on whatever podcasting app you're using. We'd appreciate it. So, Mike, um, you and I were just bemoaning the fact that neither one of us has gotten as much done in the last couple of weeks as uh, we've wanted to, but uh, I assume you have done some modeling. I've seen some photographs on, uh, uh, on the Facebook feed. So uh, what have you been doing?
0: Well, my airbrushes are fixed. Well, I've got ai got a Yay. hose for one and got got the other one fixed, so starting to move forward. Well, since I got the airbrush fixed, I've got the uh satin finish on the Zis-2 anti tank gun. Haven't started any more weathering yet, but uh not before more repairs on that little guy, though.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Somehow somehow it fell it fell off the bookshelf of my workbench, which is about an eighteen inch fall down to the work surface, oh and somehow somehow only the lower gun shield and one of the wheel mounts broke off and broke off cleanly at the glue joints. Nice. Uh, luckily, no photo etch or any of the other stinking detail work I'd done was damaged I, I don't know how it fell off. I don't know if the the skewer it was on was too hall. Too, or too tall and it just tipped over or might have had a little 13 year old help by accident <laughs> C- couldn't couldn't get a confession
1: that's the best thing about having a dedicated room with a door that i can close and lock uh yeah i don't have to worry about that
0: do not have to worry about that yeah mine's semi-shared right now so I I don't know that that's what happened, but it could have, but it's all good. It's all fixed now. Um, good. The, the other one I've been working on is the, the, actually the the E 16 a one Paul in this Fujimi aircraft catapult combo I'm working on. Um, mm-hmm. the, the catapults kind of at a, a pause until I figure out how to cable it. And I'm still kind of working through that, but, uh, with the Paul, um, I've got the wings together and got the seams all worked out of the wing halves. And I've been working on the, and the cockpit, what there is of it. There's not much in that kit, just seats and a uh, control stick. That's about it. And a floor. Yeah. So that's all together and, and, and painted. And I've, I kind of feel like I want to have the, the rear, the main span of the rear canopy open. The, 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 kit includes a, a full greenhouse and, and it also has a, a second one that's got the, the rear section telescoped up into the, into the forward part where you can have the, the uh, rear gunner radio operator position open. So I've kind of been scratching some structure inside the, inside the fuselage in there. And I made the the stowed ammo drums for the, for the machine gun. And then I've got to do, there's an instrument on the, on the opposite side of the aircraft along the fuselage wall, I I, I suspect it's another piece of radio equipment. Um, and I've got to do a little work on it and then I'll paint that and weather it. And if I like it, if I like how it looks, I'll, I'll go with the open option. If not, I'll just close it all up. (laughs) We won't have to worry about it. Speaking
1: of the canopy, does anyone make a canopy mask set for that aircraft?
0: Yeah. Montex makes one.
1: So oh, I need to good. pick that up. Yes.
0: And, and then there was there was another what what is that Japanese aviation site you were talking about uh, in a, few, a which, few episodes Which one?
1: J, J Aircraft or no. Arawasi?
0: Arawasi, that's it. Yeah. Um
1: Arawasi Block.
0: I, I was searching for something that kind of got me onto their page. They had a, a canopy mask from a company called
1: Dead design
0: model, bad bad guy.
1: Oh, bad guy. Okay.
0: Which I think's defunct. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, they they had a mass set that had both the full greenhouse and the retracted canopy mass for both.
1: Huh.
0: But I think most of it's the same anyway. There's just a couple that right. get smaller when it's all telescoped together. So. Um. I I should probably be painting the fuselage interior this week, and maybe maybe get the fuselage halves together. I don't have much work much more work to do. It I'll probably put some masking tape seat belts in it or on the rear seat or something. That'd be about it. Not trying to do too much on it. That's what I've been working on.
1: The funny thing about that that I mentioned to you the other day is that I don't think I have ever seen the Paul built up in person. I mean, I've seen there's one or two builds online, but I don't think I've ever seen that kit at a contest anywhere built up, which is kind of surprising to me because it's been out since the late 80s, early 90s, and it's a beautiful airplane. Um, And it it just kind of surprises me that I've never seen it. So I'll be happy to, I'll be really interested to see yours when it's done.
0: Well, you see a lot of Jake's, but Jake's a little bit bigger plane. It's longer. Jake's a three seater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's, there's not a lot out there on this aircraft. I don't think maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah. It was, it was kind it was kind of short lived, but they didn't make many of them. They didn't get a lot of use.
1: Yep, so that is true. That's,
0: prob- that's probably why. And you, what are you working on?
1: Well, um...
0: I know what you're going to blame me for now.
1: Yeah, right. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, you figured it out. Um, yeah, well, uh, the MiG-17, I'm tired of talking about it. I'm sure that every listener is tired of hearing about it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's painted, uh, decaled. Uh, sludge-washed, it's in the final weathering stages. I'll tell you what, I don't like weathering. I'm not very good at it, so I tend to rush through it, which in turn, of course, leads to the not very good at it.
0: Um, (laughs) Took the words right out of my mouth.
1: A lot of the videos that uh, I've been watching on YouTube lately, you know, night shift and stuff like that, And those guys really put a lot of effort into weathering. So I'm trying to slow down a little bit and put a little more effort into it and see if I get a better result. Now, the aircraft itself in real life really wasn't that heavily weathered, so I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm trying to be a little more detailed about it. But that's almost done. And hopefully by next episode, I'll be able to tell everybody it's done and and you'll never hear about it again. Um, the Bibber, the little uh, German submarine, has been completed. It's built, it's primed, uh, it's firmly into the paint shop. I'm, I'm cleaning up a few uh, little areas that needed cleanup, and then it's going to get paint. So it moved off the bench, which left my construction, uh, left me without a kit under construction. So, uh, since I've sucked uh, you into uh, 72nd scale aircraft, I thought it was only fair that I uh, step into your genre and uh, build a 35th scale kit, uh, armor kit. Well, I've asked you for recommendations and you recommended the Trumpeter M30 122 millimeter gun. And so I have just broken plastic on it. I've cut out just the first few parts and glued them together. And I've realized something. And I want to know if if you experience, it might not be the same with what you're going through building a 72nd scale aircraft, but I'm building this artillery gun and I don't know what the parts are in real life. I'm not, I mean, I you know I know what a barrel I know what a barrel is, and I know what wheels are, and yeah, I can figure out some of the other stuff. But there's a lot that I don't know what it is, and so it leads to questions of should this scene be eliminated or should it actually be there on the real thing? Um, you know, what's going to be hidden later that I don't have to worry about cleaning up, or, or... it's just. It is a wholly different experience and definitely takes me outside my comfort zone uh, when I'm building something and don't know what the parts are in real life and what they do and what they should look like. Now, obviously, I've gone online and looked at reference and there's a lot of these things preserved around so I can see a lot of them, but it is a little bit different. It's a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm blaming you for that.
0: Well, I, I get that, but this this airplane now the catapult's another story. But it's you no, know, it's mostly truss work and looks like a bridge basically. Uh, right. But the air, the aircraft doesn't have a lot of parts. This one doesn't anyway. Um, right. But the things that I, I'm finding challenging about it or anticipating finding challenging about it is that so much of the, the shape is important. You know, it's an airplane. Right. And what I mean by that is, is there's a lot of, a lot of curves and thin edges that you could really screw up if you're not watching what you're doing sanding. Yeah. And would, would dramatically change the the look of this thing.
1: Yep. That is so, that is definitely something you've got to pay attention to. So so
0: that's where I, that's where I'm at with this.
1: Yeah. Well, the M30 has just barely started, so I'll post. Uh, we'll post some episode pictures to go along with this episode, and you can see just how early in it I am. Um, the other thing I've noticed is with that M30, the trumpeter instructions are they're not bad but they're the the sequence and the way it flows on the page is a little bit different and so you especially because i don't know what i'm doing basically with a lot of this as far as what i'm actually building and what these parts are uh you i'm finding that i have to pay a whole lot more detailed attention to the instructions whereas with an aircraft I know what wings and elevators and ailerons and you know uh, canopies and gun sights and all that are and you you don't pay quite as much attention because you're used to it. It's familiar to you but uh, I've got to say I recommend to everybody they step outside their genre and do something different. Uh, I anticipate this is going to be fun. And uh, so you'll follow along with me, I hope.
0: <laughs> Anything else?
1: Nope, that's it. That's what's, on the, that's what's on the bench and in the paint booth and in the weathering stage. and So uh, I've got one or two other things pushed off to the side that I'll bring back in, I hope, along the way. But uh, those are the main ones.
0: Well, then we'll move on to our favorites and biggest yawns in this last few weeks' announcements here. We didn't cover this last time, so it's time for that again. What out yep. there in the last few weeks has really caught your eye?
1: Well, um, one is, and uh, I blame this one wholly on uh, Jim Bates out in Seattle. I
0: thought it was going to be me.
1: Well, no, AJ, right. You can't take all the blame. Your shoulders aren't that big. Um, uh, Velome Models, I think, has released a Bristol 170 freighter. And that's a a funky looking 50s British two engine uh, propeller driven transport where the whole front of the aircraft opens up as the cargo, as the way to, to load and unload the cargo. Uh, the Canadians use these, and Jim sent me some photographs of uh, Canadian sabers, basically F-86s, taken apart, and they use this Bristol 170 to transport them. And so there are some really great pictures of one of these Bristol 170s, with a disassembled F eighty six stuffed into it, and it would be an it would make a great it would make make a great build. And uh, I'm trying I'm trying to encourage Jim to do that because uh, if he does it, then I don't have to. But uh, it's a neat looking airplane. Kind of it's one of those things that's so ugly it's neat looking. So uh, that that kind of caught my eye. How about you?
0: Uh, my first one's from ICM and this one's a little strange for me. It's a, uh, a Royal Navy armored service, uh, model T armored car from uh, world war one. And the reason this one kind of caught my eye is it's, it's, it's small with a lot of flat surfaces on it
1: mm-hmm. and it looked, it
0: looked like a fabulous subject to start experimenting with some paint techniques again. It, just the the shape of the thing is, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a Model T truck. They've just built an armored box. It's got an open bed that they've got a, a tripod mounted machine gun in the back of, and the driver's compartment's a little, looks like an outhouse. It's just a, it's just cabbed around the driver's <laughs> seat <laughs> essentially, <laughs> but the, the sides and the, and the hood and all, it's all flat just all flat angled surfaces. And I it's like, you know, I could try a lot of cool stuff on that. Now, I'm, I may pick it up if it's not terribly expensive. I see him. It probably won't be. So yeah, I may grab that one. That looked, it looked interesting to me just, just for the sake of trying some different painting on it. it, it you know, it's small too, that which would hopefully the build wouldn't be too drawn out and you could get right to it. Yeah. Got any others?
1: Well, you know, a, a comment on the, on that one first. There is something about armored cars that I just love. Um everything from the early World War 1 stuff up to the World War 2 stuff, all the way up to some of the stuff that the Russians operated uh back when it was the Soviet Union. Um I just have a thing for that. I I really like armored cars. So anything that like that always catches my eye. Um, The next thing that I've seen that I'm really interested in seeing in person is that the company Fine Molds out of Japan has announced the release of an F4EJ, which is the Japanese version of the F4E, uh, which the Japanese Air Force is just just retiring now within the last year or so. And the pictures of the molds and the sprue shots and stuff like that, the kit's not been released yet, but a lot of the, the parts images have been teased. And God, that looks good. And we really haven't had a new F-4 kit maybe with the exception of Academy, I don't think we've had a new new F4 kit in 20 years. So, you know, all of the previous F4 kits have missed that generational change in molding technology that has happened. Um, And so I suspect this one is going to be hugely popular and, uh, I can see why. I mean, even if you only wanted to build the Japanese versions and not anybody else's F4s, um, the Japanese have some very colorful F4s over the years, and they used them as aggressors. They painted them up in special markings. Uh, So I, I can see myself really, really wanting to dive into one of those. So how about you?
0: There's a company, a resin figure company out of uh, Vietnam called Paracel miniatures. I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just came out with a, a small series of GIs and this, they're really fabulous looking winter, winter period. they all got long coats on and scarves and that World kind war of II. thing. Yes. World war two. I, I thought they're really neat. Now, I, don't, I don't know if, it's something I would end up with or not. I don't do a lot of Western front subjects I, that could change, I guess, but this company, well, some of their early stuff was all like post-apocalyptic zombie kind of stuff. But then they started doing a lot of, uh, Vietnam war, particularly the, uh, um, they've got a bunch of, a bunch, they have, they have several sets of, uh, Vietnamese civilians. They have a lot of, uh, North Vietnamese army from the, from the war period, both infantry and tank crews and that sort of thing. They, they got some, some American figures as well from that period. So they've done a lot of unique things that have not really been touched on by a lot of the other companies, but these in particular, uh, these, these winter cloth GIs look really, really nice. So I'm going to have to get out and see if I can find a review of their figures and, I don't know. Maybe I'll pick them up. Hmm. You got anything anything else?
1: Well, my yawn is Hasegawa Hasegawa has an SU-35 kit. I love the SU-35. It's a great-looking airplane. I'm into Russian and Soviet aircraft post-World War II, so normally this would be in my wheelhouse, except the version they have released is the SU-35 UAV version, where basically it's an SU-35 and where there's a cockpit, they've just got a fared over in fuselage insert. And this thing isn't real, at least as far as I know. Um, it's kind of another one of those what-ifs. It looks cool, because the, thir- the SU-35 looks cool, but you know, there's so much out there that that we really could use. That it just, it's 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 a yawn for me. It just is, and and really, it shouldn't be simply because it's generally in my wheelhouse.
0: Now, didn't they do an A ten as well? They did the same thing with an A ten. Yes, that's what I thought. I couldn't tell if it's Hasagawa or not. I,
1: yeah, and that similarly caused me to yawn
0: my yawn, you may have seen them. <clears throat> Vallejo has come out with these, this line of stencils and I don't know, I, I'm not feeling it. I, I just don't see the usefulness for a large percentage of what these things are for. Um, there's like wood grain and splatters and spills and things like that, that, I'm sure someone would do something fabulous with these, but it won't be me probably. I just, I would never approach the things are They've stenciled with a stencil. I, I just, I'm not sure this is, I think it's a miss. I, have you seen them?
1: Yes, I have. And I, I, I get the same feeling out of them. It's like, why would you use a stencil for that when there are several different techniques that, already exist that really look good if if you do them. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it may be looking for a shortcut where one doesn't exist.
0: Uh, maybe. And you know there's a lot of a lot of those uh uh texture and mapping type stencils have come out lately. I've got the Ushi mm-hmm. Van Der Austin set, but I think AK yeah. just did one, and and somebody else is is doing one. I I just seems like maybe stencils are a hot topic all of a sudden amongst all these competing paint and finish companies.
1: Yeah, I I do think there is a little bit of me tooism in all of this. That as soon as one company comes out with something, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, everybody else has to jump on the bandwagon.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I think too. Well our uh, special segment chosen for tonight. We were going to talk about airbrushing some.
1: I was a little disappointed in this subject because, you know, there's almost nothing to talk about as far as airbrushing goes. So I was really worried that we wouldn't have anything to fill the time.
0: (laughs) Well, I think you're being facetious there. Yes.
1: I think you could go on for hours on this subject and just Uh, barely scratch the surface
0: well let's let's just start with the the equipment what what are your your airbrushes what's your stable right now what do you got in the stable
1: i actually have four right now and yes that's a ridiculous number you don't need four um uh i i have uh a badger 150 uh that frankly, if I was if I was telling a new modeler who's just getting into modeling and just getting into airbrushing, and telling them the one brush that they need to start learning with, it would be the Badger One Hundred and Fifty. The thing is a workhorse. It's a gravity feed, so that you can use it to spray metallics. You can use it for any regular paint. Um, it is the workhorse. I've owned mine for 25 plus years and it is just a freaking workhorse. Now it, it may be not as delicate as some other brushes, but it's a great brush. Um, I own an Iwata, uh, uh, uh Infinity, Um uh, and, uh, it's very nice brush, very well engineered. Uh, I own a Badger Velocity, uh, uh, that is a fantastic, uh, gravity feed as opposed to the one Badger 150, which is a suction feed. The Badger Velocity is a gravity feed and, uh, uh, but it's, it's really, really nice. I've, For the price of the brush, I have been impressed at how good it is. And uh, then finally, I just, within the last year, I purchased a Harder and Steenbeck, uh, the top of the line Harder and Steenbeck brush. And I haven't used it a lot. Uh, It's very well-engineered. It's very delicate. And boy, when you get everything tuned in, you can do some stuff with that brush that is hard to accomplish with almost any other brush. Um, but I haven't gotten enough uh, enough uh, uh, experience with it yet to be fully fully informed on it. But I own four brushes. you don't need four brushes. i I frankly think that, if, if you're just starting out with airbrushing, a Badger 150 is a great way to start. And then as you get on, uh, you need to pick up a gravity feed brush somewhere along the, along the line if you're going to start doing more delicate, fine work. Um, but I think that's all you really need. And so I've got four of them because, you know, it happens over the years. How about you?
0: Well, I too have a Badger one hundred and fifty, and up until very recently, that's the only thing I've 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 used. I, I agree with you. For somebody starting out, I, I would probably start with that one. I would start. I would give. I'd give the single action, the complete skip over. I wouldn't yep, start there. Yeah, I agree. I would, I was. I would start with a double action airbrush. Now double action. We mean there's, there's two trigger motions. You depress the trigger to start the airflow and you pull it backwards to open the, the paint channel. So whereas a single action airbrush, the button, the trigger only starts the airflow and you have to move the needle manually. But you know, I used to, I used to use, a, I used to use a badger 200 for a while. That's what I started Me on. Too. But once I got the one fifty. Uh, never really touched those those guys again. Uh, For the 150s, that's especially true in North America, I think. I don't know, you get outside the United States, what the Badger distribution starts to look like. I, I don't know either. That's a,
1: a great question.
0: And that's... It's a very serviceable airbrush. It's not invincible as I've proven, especially the last month or so I've had to, well, I, I, had a, I had a had a part failure and then in replacing it, I damaged something else, putting it back together and had to wait another week for that to come in. But, uh, uh, very easy to maintain and, and I didn't utilize it, but as you know, cause you've told me numerous times that, um, for a small fee, you can send it in and have the thing completely overhauled.
1: Yeah, that is the that is one of the great features of Badger airbrushes is for for like 12 bucks you can mail them once a year you can mail them your airbrushes all of the all of their Badger airbrushes that you own and they will completely rehab them, clean them, to lubricate them, tune them back to factory specs and mail them back to you. And when they come back to you, they are amazing and i have done that nearly every year with that 150 and it just it takes a licking and keeps on ticking it's a great airbrush i love that feature
0: now i've got a second one now thanks to you because you used to have five airbrushes
1: thanks mike thanks for for ratting me out
0: (laughs) and it it's a uh what is it? It's a a Skybo. Skybow.
1: It's an Iwata clone.
0: Yeah, it's a an Eclipse, I think. Awada right. eclipse.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I got a you know, all my hoses are badger hoses, which have the small eighth-inch fitting on them. So I had to yeah. get a, a hose adapter and it just fit on the bottom of the airbrush and then took my badger hose after that. I, I played around with it the other day. I've not used it much yet. I'm I'm gonna break it out again on on this uh this uh, E sixteen aircraft and yeah. try it out again, but uh, it's a gravity feed, so that's the big difference for me. Is is that the uh, the, the one hundred and fifty, the Badger one hundred and fifty is a siphon feed, and I'm just used to that. So we'll have to see how it goes.
1: It's in a water clone, so it sprays just like any water.
0: Now it's a little bigger in my hand than the than the uh, the Badger. It's gonna take a little getting used to. But it's not it's not too bad. I have to give it a try. Now we've talked about CO two and compressors before, right? We've. Uh,
1: I was gonna. I was gonna say. So, Mike, talk, talk about your air source.
0: <laughs> My air source is a twenty pound CO two tank with a dual gauge regulator on it. And and, and what
1: ga- What gas do you
0: spray? I, I use c o two which is starting to get expensive believe it or not i think uh,
1: uh that is weird
0: well I, I think there's maybe an environmental fee on it at some point at, at the at, at the gas place yeah you know you get it filled up at a you make an initial investment in the tank and then it's like it's like trading trading propane tanks at the supermarket or wherever all right you just take it back and you're just swapping the tanks and you know they're making sure they're tested and safe and all that but uh uh the the gosh I think that fill was over 50 bucks this time
1: was it really wow
0: yeah now if if I don't do something stupid like leave it all on <laughs> you know that's 50 bucks about every 18 months I'm, I'm spending, so it's not terrible, but yeah, I'm probably gonna have to revisit the, uh, the compressor again at some point here in the not so distant future. Have you thought
1: of using anhydrous air rather than CO2 and see if there's a huge price difference?
0: No, but I did, th- I did. Uh, it did cross my mind to ask them about that next time. Cause that's like, is there, gosh, maybe there's something else. Yeah. And it's, it's a possibility. I don't know. I've never heard of anybody using that, though. Uh,
1: I think there are a couple of club members who use that. And uh, you know, the, the big advantage of it, of course, is that there's no moisture to it. So you really don't... Same thing with CO2. You don't have to really worry about moisture. Um, and it may well be cheaper now that CO2 is, is moving up in price.
0: And you are using...
1: As everyone who's listened to the back episodes of this podcast knows, I am using a a a silent air uh, SIL-20A. It's a silent compressor. And when I say silent, I mean silent. Um, The loudest sound that it makes is a little puff of air where it goes when the compressor cuts off cause the tank has been filled. Um, and then other than that, when it kicks on, the hum is every bit as quiet as your, uh, your compressor on your refrigerator. Um, probably even quieter actually, uh, it's, you don't ever have to worry about, Oh, my tank's low or I left the darn thing open and lost all of my gas. Uh, The downside is it ain't cheap. They run about, nowadays, about $600. Uh, However, uh, I can tell you from my previous one, it lasted me 27 years. So $600 stretched over 27 years, not a bad investment and no that's that's
0: not bad it's probably it's probably cheaper than my co2 at this point
1: (laughs) yeah really uh and so you know when mine finally gave my old one finally gave up the ghost i had zero hesitation about going and getting another one i mean i i didn't like to dig into the wallet like that but uh it's it's just awesome and you can get a nice steady flow you don't have like a lot of little cheap compressors with no tank, you get air pulsing as the as the compressor generates uh, pressure. Uh, with a with a silent air with a a, a, ta- a tanked compressor, you don't have that problem. So you get a nice steady stream, and you can fine tune how much pressure you're pushing out based on what you're painting. What 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 paint mix, what paint type, uh, all of that stuff. So I can't sing the praises of it high enough. I love it.
0: Now for the safety side of this, we, we're, we both have invested heavily on the spray booth side of things. Yep. Now I'm using, it's a sheet metal fabricated spray booth, uh, made by they're out of business now, North coast hobbies.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: they were the ones that used to advertise in the back of fine scale. And it's got a big, uh, big squirrel cage blower on the back of it. And i vent it through an outs vent it through an outside window. And it takes a standard furnace filter to kind of keep the heavy stuff up from accumulating on the fan. Uh, one thing I would recommend if people are piping their a spray booth out of their house or, or whatever, um, I've used straight sided four inch standard HVAC tube ducts. Uh, you know, I, I see a lot of pictures a lot of pictures, pictures folks have sent us and I see them online where people are using like a corrugated dryer hose.
1: Uh, static pressure problems.
0: Yeah, it's a big static pressure problem, and you're really you're really limiting the the ability of your fan to evacuate your spray booth using that kind of a hose on your on your spray booth. Yeah. So, if, if you can, if you have the room, uh, you can buy all the all the elbows and bends. You know, a lot of those things are are you can manipulate them. You can get any angle you want out of them. The the the, right. the connections. And then the, the straight sections just form up from uh, preformed sheets with a, with a lock edge on them. And it's, it's yep. really easy to put that stuff together and use some aluminum uh, tape to, uh, to seal it seal all it. up. And you're, you have, you get a, you get a lot, a lot better flow using that. So, so what are you using?
1: Well, as a matter of fact, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to bring that up. I'm using uh, the, my air booth is called a paste paint booth of paste pace uh, pace peacekeeper paint booth they come in three sizes uh two different 24 inch booths and then a 36 inch booth and the 36 inch booth now costs like 700 uh pace is still in uh in business their website's pace um But back when I bought it is just when he started manufacturing these things. It's made out of sheet metal. It's got a a squirrel cage motor. Um, And I think I picked mine up for $295 many, many, many years ago. And uh, the thing is fantastic. It's a great, well-made, well-done paint booth. It's the same thing. It uses standard air, uh, air replaceable air filters. Um, Back where I've got a very short run here uh, to to vent my booth to the outside. Uh, But back when I lived at my previous house, I had a run of about seven and a half feet uh, to get to the outside from where my paint booth was located. And I, I quickly discovered that you can't use the corrugated uh, uh, dryer venting, that you had to go with the four-inch, uh, uh, you know, round, four-inch, straight-sided uh, 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 tube, because if you didn't, the static pressure was such that you really, you couldn't push the air out. Uh, it's amazing how quickly static pressure over a distance causes a problem. So um, if you're venting your pay- paint booth, my recommendation is exactly the same as yours, unless it's a very, very short run, I mean, of more than a foot or two, uh, uh, I would definitely go with the, uh, the slab-sided aluminum circular. Uh, um, uh, uh, vent uh,
0: vent tube. Well, I was thinking at my old house, the 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 window well that I vented my airbrush air booth was over, it was over twelve feet from the air booth.
1: Wow!
0: And the motor on mine would it went up, it went straight up into the floor joists and then straight across the basement and right out of a, a basement window well, and it would push it. As long as I had straight tube, it would push it all the way. So it it worked out real nice. So yeah, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the equipment. Now the, what paints are you mostly using and, and how are you thinning (laughs) them?
1: Oh, so you want a subject that we can cover in just 30, 45 seconds. Okay. Um,
0: (laughs) At a high uh, level.
1: Yeah. (laughs) uh this is probably every bit as much as you know what your airbrush is and what your compressor is. What paint you use is is a big deal. Um, I use enamels, um, mostly color coats is what I like uh, um, and the nice thing about enamel paints is that, they're idiot-proof, and I'm an idiot. Uh, they are extremely forgiving. Uh, you you know, mixing ratios don't have to be you know you don't have to use an eyedropper to get just the right number of drops of each component. Uh, you know, oh about about thirty percent thinner, about seventy percent paint. Uh, you know, mix it up. Heat it up a little bit, spray it. And that is one adva- Another advantage of using enamels is you can heat them, and, like on a, a coffee warmer, a coffee cup warmer. And it is amazing how it increases the flow and the finish of an enamel paint to be spraying something that's uh, sitting at about 105 or 110 degrees. It just sprays so much better. Uh, And I like enamels. Unfortunately, enamels are kind of going away. And I mean, the color coats that I buy, you can't buy them direct anymore. And uh, unfortunately, the U.S. distributor, uh, you know, doesn't always keep everything in stock. Um, I've been experimenting lately with uh, AK's Lacquer acrylics. They're acrylics that you can thin with lacquer paints um, or lacquer thinner, um, unicorn tears. Uh, uh, I really, I really like it. Uh, I don't think it's quite as good as enamel, but it's pretty darn close. The mixing ratios are a a little more sensitive, Um, but it has a lot of the advantages of the enamels and of course now everybody's going to acrylics and lacquer acrylics. And, uh, so they're much easier to obtain, uh, as opposed to the enamels, which are kind of going away. So, um, the third paint that I probably use sparingly, but I love is the Mr. Color line. Uh, you can obtain obtain uh, uh, bottles off of eBay. Uh, it's probably about the best way to get them if your local hobby shop doesn't carry them. Uh, the line is not as, as diverse as I'd like, but boy, they spray well and they are durable. They're beautiful paint finishes, um, and I really like them. So those are probably my top three. Uh, although I've run some experiments with Mission Models paints, and uh, I, li- I like them when you get them tuned in, but working with them is a little bit like chemistry, and so it's much more sensitive than the other types of paints that I've used, so I'm still getting used to that. How about you?
0: Uh, I don't use a lot of enamels anymore, and... I tell you, I, I really haven't in a long time. I, I, I started with Tamiya in the 80s, right when they became available in the United States. Uh, so I have, gosh, several decades of experience with that paint. And I I've typically, for the early part of that time, I was using their X20A, their their, their al- alcohol-based thinner. Mm-hmm crap i used to, i used to thin it, i used to thin it with like window cleaner there there's a times i was i was doing that but um it the biggest game changer with to me a paint for me was when they started selling that yellow cap lacquer thinner yeah in the United States and man that 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 really made it a lot better not that it was bad before but it was a lot less forgiving with the alcohol based thinner than uh with with the lacquer the lacquer thinner so just about all of my painting to date up until like the last couple of years has been with Tamiya paint now the problem to me a paint is there's not that many colors in the line at all they're getting better yeah they they've added yes they are I know for for armor, they've added uh five colors, I think, here recently, uh German colors. At least five. There's there's three three new three new shades for the German tritonal camouflage, and then they they came out with two colors that were specific yellows used by the the, the army in North Africa. But I I've started using these uh real color paints from AK interactive and you know, they're really, really similar.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: And th- some of their colors are, are really great. And uh, I, I think I'm going to like those I, I, on the Zis I've used a little bit of their, their, when they're Russian greens, and I think I'm going to pick up a, a few more colors for the, the Bofors project I've got going that it's kind of sitting static for a while. But um, even with that, I'm using, Using the Tamiya lacquer thinner to thin that with.
1: Yeah, I use the Mister Color leveling thinner, the Unicorn Tears, and the same thing.
0: Which is something I want to try, uh, if no other reason, the bottle's so much bigger. Yep. the four hundred milliliter bottle.
1: Yep, you can get them all Amazon.
0: Um, I've also been experimenting with Mission Models paints and i agree with you but that's probably probably a topic for a different discussion um those those paints are are really nice and uh, and i am starting to like them a lot more than i did when i first started using them but i had to get some help from uh, mr miller out at model paint solutions to get me get me on the right track with those paints but uh still kind of kind of figured out now I'm, I'm using i'm using mission models paints on the interior of this of the aircraft i'm working on mm-hmm. so We'll see how that goes. But with those, I'm, I'm pretty much using all the, the Mission Models products to, to thin and to, to paint those. But, you know, like you said, it's a little bit more of a chemistry kind of experiment for, for a new user. And right. that's a whole different ball of wax. I don't have enough experience to talk about it too much yet. It's, I guess it's really what I'm saying. But yeah, Tamiya and the AK Interactive. Now, I've not used, I've not used any of the, the Mr. Color line. And I was thinking about for this aircraft to, to pick up a couple, but I already bought the gray and the green out of Tamiya's line. Now they make it, they make the propeller Brown. Maybe I'll get, maybe yeah. I'll get that one.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the, t- the Tamiya line, uh, a, my, the bane of your, my existence is, uh, trying to brush paint a, to me, anything, any of the Tamiya paints, they're awful for brush painting. Uh, don't even try it. The, I agree with you. If you thin them with either the Tamiya lacquer thinner or the unicorn tears, the Mr. Color leveling thinner, it, it sprays beautifully. And Tamiya has, especially if you're building Japanese aircraft, they've got pretty much all of the Japanese colors covered. Um, I like them a lot. Like I said, the only reason I'm a little bit of a dinosaur, I still like the enamels because they are so forgiving as far as, uh, you know, actually airbrushing them. Um, so I, I've kind of hesitated to move away. I suspect eventually I'm going to have to, simply because I do think that uh, that enamels are, are, are going the way of the dinosaur. And uh you know, eventually it's gonna happen. So uh but I'm gonna hang on to the ones I've got as long as I can.
0: Well I've got about two hundred tens of Humbrel. <laughs> <laughs> a lot a lot of its aircraft colors too. Yeah.
1: Well if they've never been opened, they might still be good.
0: Uh, they they're still good. They're they're pretty old. They're from the uh their authentic line, which is They've not been branded that way in in twenty some years. So at least. At least. At least. Well, we've talked about forgiveness of you know, paint systems. You know, I, I think with the Tamiya and the and the and the lacquer thinner that it's hard to beat. You know, I, I usually shoot for about fifty fifty when I'm thin, and I just eyeball it. I don't really have to yeah. think think about it too much.
1: Yeah. The, the, only, the only difference between an enamel and uh, uh, Tamiya or AK thinned with, uh, with uh, uh, lacquer thinner, the only difference I've noticed is that the enamel is still a little bit more durable, a little bit more amenable to sanding, a little bit more tough in regard to handling. But there's not much difference comparatively.
0: Well, they've the the acrylics have come a long way.
1: They really have.
0: Anything else we need to talk about with airbrushing tonight?
1: Well, uh, I mean, there's certainly ten thousand different things we could go into: uh, gloss coats, flat coats, uh, these weird wizards out on the internet who can brush paint and make it look as good as an airbrush finish. Uh, And there are some of those people out there, and I'm pretty sure they've sold their soul to the devil because I don't see how some of these guys do it. I do think airbrushing will increase your satisfaction in your models, your own personal satisfaction in your models, because it does, I mean, it's in miniature doing what, in general, they did to the real prototype tank or or airplane or whatever and so for most of us mortals i think it helps you achieve a better finish a more realistic scale finish um the only piece of advice i would give people about airbrushing is do it and do it a lot um airbrushing is not like riding a bicycle if you have not airbrushed in six months and then you go back to it um it's 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 a skill that atrophies over time and a lot of the great builders that you see out there they're painting all the time they're airbrushing all the time and so you get super comfortable with it um the only other piece of advice I've got regarding airbrushing is that, and this is this is almost folklore advice, and that is there are some nights where it just isn't working. That you can't get the airbrush to spray, you can't get the paint thinned just right, it just you know, you're you're loading up your airbrush, you're starting to 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 run some paint on your test area before you paint your model and you just can't get it right. There's no good reason for it. It's just happening. It's not, you're not. That case, walk away. Clean the airbrush out, shut it down and walk away. Because if, you know, like they said, if you push a bad position, you know, you'll, you'll end up screwing something up. And I don't know why that is, but there are just some nights that it's like that.
0: Not just airbrushing. It could be a lot of things. But yeah, I I have a walk away night. Luckily, not that often, but I agree. It's best just better to stop than get frustrated and do something stupid.
1: Like they say in Top Gun, don't push a bad position. Select zone five and escape. So uh, anything else, Mike, or do you want to go to your shout out?
0: Uh, I guess it's time for shout outs. We're about an hour and 15 into this. So
1: yeah. Wow.
0: Time flies. So uh,
1: who do you want to, who do you want to shout out?
0: Uh, I'm shouting out Mr. Groves, Mr. Enchi, Jeff. Good guy. Uh, yes, he is. You, if you remember last episode, you, I asked for some information, then you doubled down and, Told, told whoever's listening to send me all the information they could on Japanese catapults, et cetera. Well, Jeff boxed up some of his Imperial Japanese Navy books and just mailed them to me. Probably had your well, help. He did that. Yeah, he'll do that. He's a good guy. Which was very generous, and I'll get those back, Jeff, as, as soon as I can. Um, he had already post-it noted the uh, catapult pages, which was nice. Then there's a couple in there that had some pretty good information, but they're not quite the same type. That's in this Fujimi kit, but, uh, definitely look like one of the Hasegawa catapults. So I'll keep that in mind. I'll I'll make sure I copy all that stuff. Uh, in addition, he sent me a book, one of those Kagero from Poland, those 3d super scale, super drawing series books, uh, on the heavy cruiser Tone. Mm -hmm. And it's got some really cool CAD renderings in it and not so much of the catapult, but it's got the positions for all the 25 millimeter anti-aircraft guns. And that uh, that pit road kit of the triple triple mount 25 is, is on my, my short list of things to buy. As soon as I can find a deal or have enough stuff to order it from Hobby Link Japan, I'm, I'm going to pick that gun up. And there's somebody who makes an aftermarket set to fix a couple of things. But for, for a way to display the gun, there are some really cool... Um, I call it a parapet. It's a, it's a raised circular platform yeah, with a lot of gir- girders and truss around it. And some, some mesh around the, the parapet to keep you from falling out, uh, in the heat of things. But, uh, there, there's a couple I've picked out that look like a really good, not, not too difficult scratch project as a way to actually display that, that, that model, which I think would be really cool. Um, he also sent me another book I'll mention. Um, it's the, another heavy cruiser, the Takeo. Yeah, uh, it's from the Anatomy of the Ship series, which is nothing but you know page after page of line drawings. Yeah, um, you know they've got the full elevations and they've got the the you know the, the deck looking straight down, but then they break out all the cross sections and then all the fittings, all the weapons fitments and everything are are, are parsed yeah. out into individual pages and sections of this book, and in it are line drawings for all the armaments. And back to this pit road kit, um, there's line drawings for the, the single 25 millimeter, the double, and then the triple barrel versions of that gun. And in addition, there's four views of the, the watertight on-deck ammo lockers that are positioned all around those guns all over the ship. Basically what I'm getting at is I've got everything I need to build that, build that gun the way I would want to do it. And thanks to him, thanks to Jeff for sending me these books because it's kind of got me excited about that project in addition to the catapults
1: five five years from now, I'm going to be laughing my butt off when, uh, Jeff Groves gets you to build a 72nd scale scratch built Japanese seaplane tender. There you go. (laughs) He'll get you, man. Well, who are you shouting out? Well, uh, I want to shout out first and foremost, uh, IPMS USA, um, The National Organization of the International Plastic Modeler Society, United States branch. Um, uh, Now, uh, I will disclose I'm the recruitment and retention secretary for the national organization. So uh, my opinion here is not unbiased, but in addition to joining your local club, if you join IPMS USA, the national organization, you'll meet a lot of great modelers you'll have more resources for interacting with other modelers um it's it's a great organization and it's worthy of your support so if you haven't looked into it go to ipmsusa.org and take a look around and i'd encourage you to join so uh what's your other shout out mike
0: you got one no, just, just Jeff. I think he, okay. he gets well, it all. Got one... Okay, well, he, he he did you a solid. He did, he did.
1: I've got one more, and that is Hussar up in uh, Canada. Um, Hussar makes a lot of resin products, mostly for armor. And one of the things they make is the... Uh, the, one of the downfalls of the Trumpeter M30 kit is it comes with those stupid rubber wheels. I do not know why any manufacturer still does that, but they do. Well, Hussar makes resin replacement wheels both for the gun and for the limber. Um, and I interacted with the owner over email, was able to uh, uh, confirm the stock, confirm that they were able to ship into the U S despite the coronavirus and, uh, place an order and, uh, um, uh, very smooth transaction, very, very good to deal with. And, uh, now I'm just going to wait, hope that Canada post doesn't lose them and the USPS gets them to me. And, uh, uh, it's not like I'm going to need them anytime in the in the next couple of days because I'm still far away from that point. But I want to shout out good customer service, nice website, um, Hussar Productions.
0: Straight straight from Hussar?
1: Yes, straight from Hussar. Yeah, they've got a website.
0: That's good to know.
1: I think that's about everything, Mike.
0: Until next time, Dave, there's so many kits.
1: And so little time, Mike. You take care.
0: All right. See you next time. Come here.